And there were shepherds out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. To you. To you. Been born to you. And you will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Marvelous, wonderful gift. Let's join hands and thank him. Lord, may the excitement that permeated the hearts of those shepherds long ago reach down and turn on the excitement in our hearts and lives to realize what you have done and what you are doing and what you have promised to do in the future. We thank you, Father, and we praise you, and we come to worship you. We sing these carols celebrating your birth, and we pray, dear Lord, that you who were born so long ago will be born again today in each of our hearts. For this is our prayer in the loving name of Jesus Christ the Savior. Amen. You know, Christmas is about, is about surprises. Surprises. Surprise is something that's not expected. I want to talk about surprises this morning. The church not long ago was surprised when they came in and looked at the church order of service on a Sunday morning around Christmas when they were singing Christmas carols and uh, the choir was to sing, as our choir sang this morning, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, and there had been a typographical error in the order of service, which is not uncommon in churches. Um, but uh, the typographical error said, I heard the bills on Christmas Day. <laughs> How many of you have already heard the bills on Christmas Day? Well, I hope you hear the bells along with them. You'll hear the bells soon enough, aren't you? Well, uh, that first Christmas was a surprise. It was certainly a surprise when an angel showed up to an elderly man, priest by the name of Zechariah, and said to him, you're going to have a son. He said, I'm elderly and my wife is barren, but you're going to have a son. His name will be John later known as John the Baptist. He's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Elizabeth was barren, both past the childbearing age. Surprise, surprise. Angel showed up talking to Joseph and said, Joseph, the young girl you're engaged to is pregnant. But don't get alarmed about it. You take my word for it, by faith, hear what I'm saying. The child that is in her is the Son of God. She has been impregnated by God. Don't let what anybody says or talks about upset you. Don't, don't. It's going to happen. God's doing it. Angel showed up talking to Mary and said, uh, you're going to have a baby. She said, well, I'm not even married. But a baby you're going to have will be the Son of God. A bunch of shepherds 
out in the field, surprised to see a choir of angels show up in a sheep pasture, singing. Herod was surprised to hear that a baby had been born and somehow he felt that baby would be a threat to his powerful kingdom. Surprised when the Magi came. Magi was surprised when they got there and they'd come that long journey, a few thousand miles, a couple of years at least, and found the king they had come to worship in an obscure little town called Bethlehem, born in the back alley and a stable, the king of kings. Surprise, surprise. So you're probably going to get some surprises this Christmas, and you're probably going to give some surprises this Christmas. Clovis Chapel tells about an incident that occurred when he was pastoring in Tennessee many, many years ago. A little church, and they centered their Christmas activities in the church, and they had a big Christmas tree in the church and gifts there, which they were going to distribute uh, to one another. And... Uh, Everybody was having a good time, good fellowship. There was one little boy in the church who was mentally handicapped, mentally retarded. He was enjoying the festivities like everyone else. And all of the presents were under the tree, and there was one big present, bigger than all of the rest, about two or three times. And everybody was looking with covetous eyes at that big box, thinking, boy, that's the present for me. Well, one of the church members was dressed up like Santa Claus and he started distributing the gifts. And finally, everyone had received a gift and there was only one gift left and that was the big one. And there was only one person who'd not received a gift and it was this little handicapped boy. And his eyes were just so big and he was so excited. Santa Claus brought him this great big box. And with his fingers, he fumbled and nervously tearing the paper and got the box open and he reached inside and started pulling out the paper and pulling out the paper and pulling out the paper and that's all it was. It was an empty box. Somebody had played a dirty trick on a poor little handicapped kid. Empty boxes. You wouldn't do that to anybody. But the world does that to us. The world comes with a lot of glitter and glamour and looks big and wonderful and appealing. And the problem is we buy into it and often we buy it for ourselves only to find out that it's empty of any kind of meaning. All we find is a bunch of paper. I say, I say, why, why do you work so hard for that which doesn't satisfy you? Why do you buy empty boxes? Things that have no permanence, no meaning, no significance, no real satisfaction. May God help us not to play any dirty tricks on ourselves. We wouldn't do that to someone else. Why do it to ourselves? Why do it to ourselves? Well, on that first Christmas, the Lord was going around saying through his angels, God's not going to give you an empty box. 
Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You probably know that there are 365 fear knots in the Bible. Now, when the Bible was written over a period of a few thousand years by over 40 different authors, they had no idea that we were going to have 365 days in our calendar. They didn't even have the same kind of calendar that we have. But if you look at your Bible, there are 365 fear knots in there. In other words, there's one for every day of the year. And so every morning when you first wake up, if you want to quote a verse of Scripture to start your day, start it with, don't be afraid, because somewhere in the Bible you would read that that day. It's there 365 times. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And God says it that many times because he knows that's how often we're going to be afraid and how we need to hear it over and over again. And when you read the Christmas story, you hear God start each sentence four times with don't be afraid. In the first chapter of the book of Luke to Zechariah, 13th verse, don't be afraid, Zechariah, don't be afraid. I can handle this. You're too old and your wife is barren. Don't be afraid. I can handle this. Nothing is impossible with me. In the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, to Joseph, Joseph, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The girl you're engaged to is with child, but it is my child. It's God's child. Don't be afraid. And then to Mary, Mary, don't be afraid. The angel shows up. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God is with you. God is going to use you to bring his son into the world. And then when the angels began to sing out there in the sheep pasture and all of those shepherds were just amazed and astounded, an angel showed up and said to them, fellas, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God wants to say that to you at this Christmas over and over and over again. We have a tendency to be afraid. Even children are afraid. There's so much in our world that frightens them. So much on television, needlessly so, depressingly so, frightens children. And often in the home where there's turmoil and trouble, children feel such an insecurity afraid I'll never forget uh, he probably doesn't remember it he was nine years old at the time but our son Michael one year at Christmas we were putting up the tree and doing all of the Christmas decorations and and uh, talking about the Christmas story and Mike said this I'd be scared if it wasn't true and you wouldn't know any sermons, would you, Dad? He was right. I'd be scared, too, if I didn't know it was true. And I wouldn't have any sermons. No one would have any sermons. No one would have any good news if it wasn't true. But it's true. Don't be afraid. Surprise, 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 surprise that he came down to earth and surprise that he came to a barn. He was born in a barn. You know, one of the illusions, one of the major illusions of our day, particularly in America, I think, is that 
anything that is going to be really successful has got to be big, ponderous, humongous. If anything is successful, it's big, it's powerful, it's overwhelming. But here, God comes a wee baby thing to make a woman cry. Little baby in a little manger. The biggest thing that ever happened on this earth is little, insignificant, inconsequential to the unknowing. Why did he do it? Why did he do it? There is a legend. Let me underline the fact that it's a legend. That the night before Jesus was to be born, he and the Father were talking in heaven. And Jesus said to his Father, Father, what do you want me to tell them? What do I tell them? And he said, Son, just tell them that I love them. That's what he wants to tell you, that he loves you, that he has come as the fulfillment of the promise of God across the ages to show you, not just tell you, but to show you in his own life and flesh that he loves you. Why the patriarchs and the prophets all sounded the news. Abraham, the man of faith, said, there's one with greater faith than I. He is coming. Moses, the powerful leader, said, there is a more powerful leader than I. He is coming. David, the kingdom builder, said, there's a greater kingdom than mine, and the king is coming. Solomon the wise said, there is one wiser than I. He is coming. Isaiah the princely aristocratic prophet said, there's a greater prophet than I. He is coming. And John the Baptist, whom Jesus defined as the greatest man ever born of woman, John the Baptist said, there is one greater than I, and he is coming. In fact, there he is. Behold the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. He came because he loves us. And he went through everything you and I have to go through. Every emotion, every temptation, every feeling you and I have, Jesus experienced. The Bible teaches us that. The Bible says he was tempted or tested. The words are interchangeable, same word. He was tested 
in every way that we are, yet without sin. He was subjected to the same temptations you are, yet by faith and trust in the Father, he resisted. He never sinned, but he was tempted to sin, just as you and I are tempted. And he experienced every human emotion that you and I experienced. I've gone through and written down some of the things that Jesus experienced, that you and I experienced, right out of the New Testament, right out of the life of Christ. There were times when he was happy. And there were times when he was sad. We have times like that, do we not? Happy times, sad times. He was abused. You've been abused. He was abused and loved. He was criticized. My, was he criticized. And he was acclaimed. Both. He was misunderstood. And he was believed. He was understood. He was angry. And he was joyful. He was left out. He was invited in. He was rejected. And he was accepted. He had friends. And he had enemies. He felt forsaken by God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he felt close to God. Father, Abba, Father, Daddy, into your hands I commend my spirit. He's been where we are. He's felt what we feel. He has experienced what we're experiencing. He knows us and loves us and has come to walk with us victoriously even as he walked through all of these amazing contradictions in his own life. He walked through all of those triumphant as more than conqueror and he will lead us to be and to do the same. Don't be afraid. He's been there. He's been where you are and been through what you've been through and experienced what you've experienced and felt what you have felt and he will turn those things into blessings for others and power to you and glory to God. I read you the scripture a moment ago. You've heard it. You'll hear it a lot between now and the end of the year, the conclusion of Christmas. The angel said to them, 10th verse, 2nd chapter of Luke, Do not be afraid. There it is. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. There are three statements in this short sentence that I want to just throw out for you to think about for a moment. They just leap right out at us. 
Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Put a circle around that word all, as I have in my Bible. All the people, the universality of the message of Jesus, the universality of the love of Jesus. He is for all people, irrespective of who we are or what we've done, rich or poor, wise or ignorant, religious or irreligious, moral or immoral, red or yellow, black or white. Everybody's precious in his sight. He loves the whole world. The universality of the message of Jesus. There's nothing exclusive about it. There's nothing esoteric about it. It's not for members only, for holy ones only, for Baptists only, or Catholics only, or Presbyterians only. He came for all of us. The universality of his message and the punctuality of his message. The word punctual means to the point. He came to the point. Today, he said is born for you. Today is your day. Today's the day to meet the Savior. Today's the day to know the Christ. Today's the day to worship Him. Today. You know, I thought about this uh, one night when I was watching this marvelous tree and looking at all of these clocks here, uh, which is the theme of the living Christmas tree, as many of you know who've seen it. I got to thinking about how so many of our fears and so many of our anxieties are related to time. T-I-M-E, to time. Man is the only creature who has the capacity to reach back into his past and dredge up all of the stuff, good and bad, that has happened that can reach back. Man is the only creature that can go back and get all of the stuff out of our yesterdays and come and pile it in upon ourselves today. And man is the only creature who has the imagination to be able to reach out to the future and imagine all of the problems and all of the difficulties and all of the potential failures that are out there and go out there and get them and bring them in upon today. And so we have all of the anxieties of the past and all of the confusion and fear about the future and we pile it in upon ourselves. No wonder we miss the manger. We're covered up with yesterdays and with fear of tomorrow. It is this incredible, excessive concentration on the past and this extreme preoccupation with the future that creates fear. Listen, all of that stuff in your yesterdays is gone. God has forgotten it. You forget it. It's over. Forgiven. Obliterated. It's gone. And God is in all of your tomorrows. He is there already and has defeated whatever it is that you fear. Enjoy the moment. The fresh, vital, exciting moment of what Christ is doing in your life today. The punctuality of it. The point of it all is for it to happen to us today. The universality of it. 
for everybody, anybody, whoever you are and whatever's happened in your life. Today can be a new day. A new day when the past will be buried and the future will be reclaimed and you will know the joy of the Lord in the present. And then finally, the individuality of it. He has been born to you. Just to you. Now, I know this sounds strange. I know it's hard to believe. It's hard for me to believe it as I say it, but it's true. If you'd been the only sinner that ever lived, whatever sin it was, whether it was an attitude or an act, whether it was something you did or something you didn't do, whatever it was, not making a difference. If you were the only person who ever made a mistake, you were the only person that ever told a lie, the only person that ever ignored somebody or said some cruel thing to somebody, the only, you're the only person that ever lusted or hated or whatever it was, he would have done everything he did just for you. Now that'll blow your mind. I know it will. It's, it's staggering. It's hard to accept that. But he didn't die for all of us and he wasn't born for all of us. He died for each one of us. Each one of us. And he was born for each one of us. To you, to you, to you, to you. All are invited, but it becomes a personal invitation to you is born this day. Jesus didn't come to save the whole world. He came to save everybody in it, one by one by one by one by one. Not in mass. One at a time. And your sins are forgiven. Carl Menninger, the outstanding psychiatrist at Topeka, Kansas, that all of us have read about or heard about and read many of his things. He said that if people could accept the fact that their sins are forgiven, 90% of the hospital beds that are being occupied by mentally ill and emotionally disturbed people would be empty. Your sins are gone, buried in the depths of the sea. Remember the little chorus we used to sing? Gone, 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 gone. All my sins are gone, buried in the depths of the sea. Rolled away, rolled away, rolled away. All the burdens of my heart rolled away. They're gone. He has forgiven you. It's just for you. Today. Two little boys had grown up together in the neighborhood. They were good friends. They were about nine or ten years of age. One day, they had a big argument and got in a fight. Little boy came home, said to his mother, said, I'm never going to talk to Bobby again. Bobby and I have been friends, but I don't like him anymore, and he doesn't like me, and we're never going to speak to each other again. We're not friends anymore. Mother said, what happened? He said, well, it doesn't make any difference what happened. I'm just, Bobby and I are through. She didn't say any more about it. Next day, he got up and went to school and came home. Notice when he got home to school, and her son and Bobby were out in the yard playing again. And just having a great time. She didn't say anything about it until he came in and had dinner and she finally thought she ought to remark about it. And she said, uh, I see that you and Bobby are playing together again, talking again. And 
yesterday, you know, you said you were never going to talk to him again. You all were not friends anymore. And the little boy said, uh, well, me and Bobby are good forgetters. <laughs> Let me tell you something. God's a good forgetter. He says, I don't even remember your sins against you anymore. And someday, when we stand before him, and we start dredging up the past, all that stuff we like to do, go back and pull it all up. We start talking about this and that and the other, and the Lord says, I don't know what you're talking about. He has reserved for himself the capacity and power to do what you and I cannot do, and that is obliterate the past. In his omniscient and omnipotent power, he can blot out the past. He doesn't remember it. Why do we go on remembering? We need to be good forgetters. Not only about ourselves, but can you imagine what would happen in the Christian world if all of us who claim to be Christians who spend about 90% of our time contending with other Christians about something that is usually of minor consequence? Can you imagine what would happen to the Christian world if all of us would be good forgetters about the disagreements we've had with other people? So, well, wait just a minute, Bugner. They said, I know, they said that. Forget it. But they're my enemy. Jesus said, enemy, love them. Enemy, pray for them. Forget it. It's over. We'd have a revival in America if Christians would just be good forgetters. Say we're forgetting all of our own problems and I'm going to forget yours. I'm going to forget what happened between us. It's over, it's gone. And we're going to not just play together, we're going to sing together, we're going to worship together, we're going to work together, and we're going to serve God together, and we're going to go to the manger together, and we're going to go to the throne together, and we're going to go to the Father's home together. So let's get together now. Let's get together now. It's for you. So I invite you to come to trust Him as Savior. If you've never trusted the Lord Jesus, I invite you to do that today. It's for you. It's just for you. Invite him into your heart. To come be a part of the life of this church, already a Christian, feeling like this is where you'd like to be and where God wants you to be. You say, well, Bugner, I don't know where my membership is and I belong to this church or that church. Don't worry about that. We're interested in you. Come any way you want to. All, people walk down the aisle and I... They, I say, what decision are you making? They say, well, I want to join this church. I said, you've already done it. This very act has done it. That's all it takes is the willingness on your part to say, I want to be a part of this family. Welcome home. This is your family. I'll be down here. I'll walk down those steps, come stand here in this middle aisle. If you start down that aisle, I'll try to get over there or there. And I'll be here. And you'll be among friends. We're going to sing an invitation, God's invitation, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Come on to him.